and welcome to the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. I'm Eddie Cohn, the host. Paul Teodo joins me on the podcast this week. We're going to get to the interview soon. He's a freaking yoga teacher, though. He moved all the way to Bali because he freaking had it with Los Angeles, which I totally understand sometimes. No, I, I freaking love this city, but uh, we're going to get to the interview soon. But I did want to talk really quickly, just a quick preview before we get to the interview. You know, I get asked sometimes, you know, what the heck is the downward facing spiritual spiral? And you know what it is? Look, this podcast evolved out of people texting while they drive. That's the downward facing spiritual spiral. People go out to dinner and they stare at their phones all day. That's the downward facing spiritual spiral. Trending now, I just saw this, you know, on Netflix or on Yahoo, trending now, who the fuck is deciding what is trending now? You're not deciding it. Algorithms are deciding it. Big corporations are deciding it. You're not deciding it. So it's freaking complicated right now. You know, these devices, this technology came out and it seems really cool because it is, you know, this is being recorded. Technology helped me have the interview with Paul, who's freaking living in Bali right now. Technology is freaking cool. But these corporations, the apps, they are manipulating you. It's happening all the time. You're out of control. So this show is about bringing the control back to your life. And how do we do that? We freaking have to turn off the phone. We have to be more aware of what we're consuming. And we have to have conversations. We have to think. We have to stop staring at our phones. Because we need to add more depth to our lives. The amount of manipulation that's going on right now all around us is insane. You turn on Instagram, people are trying to sell you that they're happy. They're trying to sell you something. Yahoo, Google, all these companies, Netflix, they're all using algorithms because they think they know what you want. Well, fuck them. You know what you want. The problem is, is that because there's so much minutia, so much noise and fridge buzz going around us all the time, we forget what we want and who we are. So six months ago, approximately, I created this podcast because I wanted to talk about it, first of all, because I think Instagram, Facebook, Netflix, the amount of manipulation that's going on right now, they are feeding into your into your most vulnerable state in the sense that they know if you're insecure about your skin or your freckles or your hair, or maybe you're really into, I don't know what, something really perverted, it doesn't matter, but they are going to keep feeding you that information so that you keep staring at your phone. And it's pretty fucked up. Now, it doesn't seem like it's a big deal. Like, you know, is is cell phone addiction as big of a deal as heroin or cocaine or or smoking cigarettes? It doesn't seem like it would be. But right now, imagine a culture staring at their phones nonstop all day instead of having a conversation, reading a book, or getting to know somebody. Because when I look around and I go out to dinner or I hang out with friends, when I look around and I go to the movies, these freaking cell phones are on all the time. Instagram is wanting you on their platform all the time. Netflix wants you on their freaking platform all the time. They want your attention 
more than ever. And it doesn't seem like, hey, that's not a big deal. You know, it's a fun little cell phone. No, it is a huge freaking deal because they're changing your brain. They are changing the way that you think and they are manipulating you. And so this show, it, it evolved out of what's, what's, I see it around me. I see it around me all the time. And I was getting manipulated just like you. It's not like I was immune to it. I'm not some freaking superhero. But I started realizing through books, conversations, that I want to be in control. I want to trend now. I want, to, I want my life to trend for myself. I want to be in control. Now, of course, it's virtually impossible. You know what it is? I want to be in control of my thoughts and my feelings and not be manipulated by the bullshit that I see around me every day. It's nonstop. And you can see it too. Go out to dinner tomorrow and don't bring your phone with you for that hour. And just look around. And look at what everybody else is doing. They're staring down at their phone. And more than likely, they're not staring at the New York Times. They're not staring at some book. They're not looking at some freaking photo at some museum that they're thinking about. They're going to go to, you know, go check out the Hammer Museum or go to the Getty or something tomorrow. They're probably staring at Instagram or Facebook and whatever bullshit they're feeding them on those platforms. So, this podcast is a response to all of that. I'm going to I talk about it. I, sh- I I'm going to talk more about it, but, but I've really become interested in the interview portion of the show. The interview, the conversations that I'm having with people, the other thing that's happening, the soft-spoken ones, the artists, the ones that don't feel comfortable screaming and yelling and being loud and vexatious on freaking Instagram, nobody's paying attention to them. The ones that are being paid attention to, aren't necessarily freaking talented. They're not necessarily freaking interesting or artistic, but they're loud, obnoxious, or they're willing to show off their ass or their boobs on Instagram or Facebook or wherever to get your attention, and it's working. This is a response to that. Trying to bring more awareness to how fucked up these platforms are, how fucked up Facebook and Instagram is, and how you can use them in a way that benefits you. If you're an artist, a musician, freaking A, use them. Get your word, get the word out on Facebook and Instagram. But it's deeper than that. It's being aware of what these platforms are doing to our culture. And I think it's a big freaking deal. So on to Paul. Paul, why, do I, why did I have him on the show? Because he was freaking living in LA and he, two years ago, Donald Trump was elected, or three years ago, Donald Trump was elected, two and a half. And he's like, that's it. I've fucking had it with this place. I've had it with LA. I've had it with being an actor and a model and all the bullshit of Los Angeles, which it's out here. I mean, I love LA. I freaking love this city, but there's a lot of superficiality out here. He had it. He and his fiance moved to fucking Bali, and he's been kicking ass there. And he teaches at the yoga barn. And after talking to him, I want to freaking go on a yoga retreat and, and go to Bali and, and, and go to yoga classes with him because he's just freaking cool. He also is a musician. He plays the guitar and he released a record. And I'm actually ending this podcast with one of his songs. I didn't tell him this, but um, it's called the song is called Beginning. It's my favorite song on his record. So definitely check it out. He plays. He actually like plays live guitar at the end of yoga classes, which is freaking awesome. So... 
Um, anyway, we do a lot of talking about yoga, music, being an artist. It's a freaking great interview. I'm really stoked he came on the show. And this is actually an example, though, where technology is cool. I Skyped with him. He's living in Bali. We had this awesome conversation via Skype. So, look, I'm not some anti-technology guy. I use it freaking all the time. So, yeah, it's a freaking great interview. Last but not least, please, if you dig the show, it's it's getting momentum. People are starting to dig it more and hear about it. It's There's fucking like 50 million podcasts in the world. So if you dig the show, go over to iTunes, write a review. That stuff really helps. Tell people about the show because it's just the people that I've had on the show in just like five months is ridiculous. These people are freaking cool. There's some great conversations on the podcast. So if you dig it, write a review. If you want to support the show, you can go to my Patreon page, which is patreon.com backslash Eddie Cohn. Um, I'm just creatively here. I got another song coming out on iTunes in about three weeks. I'm busy in this writing the second draft of my book. Uh, I got hired in a new yoga studio. I'll tell you about it soon where I start there in like a few weeks. And um, yeah, that's the deal. So thanks again for listening. Thanks to Paul for coming on the show. Again, it's Paul Teodo, T-E-O-D-O. Check him out on Instagram, on the internet. Go to Bali and visit him. Buy his music. And I hope you really enjoy the conversation as much as I did. You're in Bali right now. So first of all, welcome to the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast. And I I read about you and I think your story is really interesting. And that's why I wanted you on the show. I remember you, there was an article or newspaper that basically anointed you as the best yoga teacher in Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, and I what's that. Yeah, what's, but what's really funny is that I think maybe, I don't know, within a year of that, you basically picked up and left and went to Bali. So uh, am I correct? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, a year later. I, yeah. Okay, there you go. So I want to know, yeah. I mean, there's, I, you know, I want to go back to, you know, Chicago and real estate and, and sort of what got you out to LA, but I just want to start off right now. I mean, here you are sitting in Bali. I want you to go, yeah. I want you to go back to that. You, here's the article in Los Angeles where you're pretty much, you are teaching in the most oversaturated yoga city i think at least in the united states when it comes to yoga yeah, teachers you're yeah, an, you're anointed the number one teacher in los angeles which you know whatever that could mean that's that's still pretty cool and then you jump ship and head to bali so what happened from that article to you leaving well i'll i'll actually remember when the article came out and i was actually the woman who wrote it she sent me a message saying that she was going to include me in her list of like top teachers in Los Angeles and that she had gone to I think over 60 or 70 classes. She'd gone to a bunch of classes. Right. And I actually was like, Oh cool. That's really flattering. And, um, and then I remember when the article came out and I was scrolling down <laughs> and it said like number five, number four, I'm like, well, where am I? Number three, when I actually found out that she had listed me number one, I, I went into my, I remember I was living with Calvin at the time. Right. And I went to my room, I shut the door, and I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah, that's got to be pretty I, intense to see that. 
Yeah, and I was still pretty new. I was a really uh, fairly new teacher. I'd only been teaching three and a half, four years. Right. So I didn't actually allow the compliment to sink in for probably about six or seven months. Right. Um, at first, I didn't like it. And then it was interesting when that article came out, like, uh, you know, I had uh, a lot of people come to my class and then also a lot of people that came to my class just ready to bash it. First, I was really scared and I really like it, it made me feel a lot of anxiety. And then I was like, fuck them. You know what? I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to really blow their minds. I'm going to do my best. Yeah. And even if they don't love it, they're going to respect it. And they're going to see that that I pay attention to detail and I create an experience that is good. And yeah. um, I took it as a challenge uh, as opposed to um, just letting it create anxiety for me. Great. What was it like teaching for you in Los Angeles? And again, I just want to I think it's just you moving to Bali is is really an interesting, unique story. And yeah. I think. Just, I would encourage everybody to do it. <laughs> well, I want you to sort of go into that, you know, that transition or that time from that article to that year later when you pick up and just leave. And, and I want to hear sort of about what it was like teaching in Los Angeles and and, yeah, and yeah. what what led you to um, picking up and taking off. And, and you've been in Bali now for, I think, almost two years, right? Over two years. Over yeah. two. Okay. So can yeah. you can you sort of tell the story about that process of of Sure. Um, well, I had been teaching at the, I first started teaching at all these neighborhood studios, just like every other teacher. And I had four people, five people in my classes. And I was really uh, lucky uh, because I had personal relationships with some yoga teachers that, that were pretty experienced. And they gave me guidance in terms of the right attitude to have. Right. Uh, in terms of your first first couple of years and not seeing yourself as a business, not seeing it as a business at all for a long time. Yeah. And just showing up and teaching a really, really good class. So my first couple of years, I, I think my first year teaching yoga, I taught full time. I made like $10,000, <laughs> like just something yeah. ridiculously low. But I loved it. I loved it. And, um, you know, when my classes went from four people to eight, I was happy. Sure. You know, I was like, okay, like this is, you know, this is good. Yeah. And in my first couple of years, I, I was uh, bartending. I, I was, I've been a model ever since I was in high school. Um, so I was still booking modeling jobs, uh, right. which I think, you know, as long as you keep your head screwed on straight, modeling's great. It's fun. Yeah. So I worked as a model and those helped pay the bills. And yeah. I managed an 18 unit apartment complex. Okay. And, um, and I just taught as many classes as I could. Yeah, and you taught uh, you taught at like Yoga Collective, I think, and the Power Yoga West. I taught at Brian Kess Studio. Yeah, that's Brian. where that's where I really like learned. Brian Kess Studio will teach you so much about being a good teacher. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a reason why all, all the teachers that are able to make it there they go on to like travel the world and do bigger things because if the donation yoga model will teach you very quickly whether or not you're having an impact on people. Yeah. And it'll be, it'll be right in front of you, every class. And if your donations are not good, it's because you're not teaching a good class. <laughs> right. It's pretty simple. And you can't get that type of feedback from any other studio.
teaches you to believe in yourself because you have to lose money for a while. Yeah. Like, you, you know, you have to bet on yourself and lose money and then, but the donation model is so pure. There's nothing better than, than teaching for free and walking out with $300. <laughs> Definitely. And, you know, it's, it just feels so pure. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I started teaching at Brian's studio and all these other studios. And I have been very, I had been prepped by Sarah Ivanhoe and Vetus and Alvin and Byron de Marseille. Uh, a lot of these teachers, Tomal Dodge was an influence at the beginning, um, just about like how you're not going to make any money right? <laughs> like for, for a while. Yeah. Um, and then once there's really evidence from the universe or whatever you want to call it, that you're, that you're good at what you do, then you can start negotiating on your own behalf and you can start looking for bigger things. But, but the foundation really has to come in teaching a thousand classes, teaching 2000 classes and, yeah. and every single class, what went right, what went wrong and, um, what worked, what didn't and holding yourself up to as high of a standard as possible without burning yourself out right. or without down on yourself, but setting the bar extremely high for yourself. Um, I think that's, that's what I did. Yeah. And I had, I had done enough work on myself where I could do that without beating myself up. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, definitely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's stressful being a yoga teacher in Los Angeles. I mean, there's so many studios, there's so many teachers, it doesn't pay a lot. It's a challenge for sure. I make $35 a class, $50 a class at one studio. Obviously, you can't live off that unless you're teaching like 45, 50 classes a week. And that's yeah, just that's yeah. just insane. I remember seeing you in Bianca's class over at Hot 8. Um, yeah. Yeah, I know. I remember. And I taught there for, I taught at Hot 8 for a hot minute. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, that was a great experience, actually. Um, I, I, I had a really nice experience at hot eight it was a good place for a newer teacher they, yeah. they were nice to me and yeah yeah but again i'm sorry to ask the question again i want to know what happened where you're in la and then you're like i'm going to i think you went with your your fiance now what uh, did you guys was, how did the how did it all come about that you decided i'm heading out and uh, moving to bali there was this growing feeling inside of me that I had been in Los Angeles for 10 years and uh, that it was not the center of the universe, hmm. which is what a lot of people believe that it is. And I wanted to take a huge risk and I just wanted to, to leave. And I also felt that I was really successful there and I felt that I had kind of reached a ceiling yeah. and um, wanted a new challenge and wanted to... Uh, also, on an artistic level, I was really kind of done with, with that. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was ready to see if what I was doing would be appreciated on a higher level in other markets and other places. And I also felt like um, with Donald Trump becoming elected and some other stuff, like I just didn't really, uh, just didn't really believe in my country. Yeah. I was like, you know, the, the saying is like, if you don't like it, leave. I'm like, you know what? I'll leave. Yeah. Well, I've, I've always, it's so funny, you know, you seem strong, physically strong and, and powerful in the sense you could hold these upside down postures and all that sort of stuff. But I think I've always had the sense that you're pretty sensitive. And um, oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I don't think it's possible for an artist to be good if they're not in touch with their sensitivity. You have to be. I mean, uh, creating music, creating anything, is it comes from a feminine place. Yeah. So if you're not sensitive, if you're not observant, um, if you're not conscious, your work's not going to be any good. So you have to like, and then if you're too sensitive, the world will crush you. <laughs> yeah. So you have to um, you have to find that balance. It took me, you know, a long. It took me a while. My late twenties, uh, like a lot of people, I went through some pretty serious anxiety and depression, and and then also like developing a meditation practice and becoming more aware. Um, it doesn't mean that you're just more aware of love and light. Like I used to say, like I'd go to the beach and everybody would see a beautiful sunset and I'd just see plastic. Yeah. And they're both there. Right wow. in front of you. Yeah. There's this beautiful sunset and then the beach is just covered in so much plastic that you could spend all day, every day cleaning it and not even make a dent. And hmm. both of those things are true. And I think it's our responsibility as yoga teachers to make people aware of both. Part of the reason why I wanted you on the show, there is a superficia superficiality going on in our world. Um, yeah. And, you know, Andrea said it on this last podcast, you know, that to be an artist, to let it all hang out and, and let your heart out and be vulnerable takes a lot of courage. And yeah. I think that's forgotten um, how much work it takes and vulnerability it takes to to sing a song in front of a class, to sing a song and post it on Instagram. I mean, that to me, that is that is real strength and courage. It's not, you know, taking a selfie or showing off a picture of your ass or something on Instagram. I mean, real courage comes from yeah. vulnerability and being an artist and and just letting it all go and, and hopefully people connect with it. Oh, yeah. Man, I remember the first time I posted a video of myself playing guitar on Facebook. Um, <laughs> it's terrifying. I took the video. Yeah. I took the video, um, and it sat in my phone for six months. Wow. I was so scared. And I, it's, always, it's, it's actually still a thing. Like, I'll, You can put me in front of a couple hundred people, and I'll play music, and I won't be that nervous. But you put one camera in front of me, and I'm like, fuck. Yeah. Like, every single mistake, every single nuance is going to be stuck on here forever, you know? Yeah. And um, so I actually, like, uh, I waited six months to post the video, and then I finally posted it. And uh, I can honestly say that was a, it was something where, where I received positive validation from social media um, that did help me. It did help me, uh, encourage me uh, to, to take my music to a larger level and to continue sharing things. So... I, I am in agreement with you on most of the things that we that you criticize about social media, and at the same time, it has helped me in in, in some ways. You know, not just like helped me in terms of like building a brand or all that shit, yeah. but like helped personally. You know, when uh, when you post a video and you get a really positive response, and people are sharing it and they're sending me messages, um, I'm like, well, all right, that's a sign that I have to. Uh, <laughs> Get out of my own way. Yeah. I know this has a social media 
um, sort yeah, yeah. Of connotation to it. My show does, but I before I don't know for some reason I just I'm really interested in your music. You you grew up in Chicago, and mm-hmm. you you were a musician there, and you mm-hmm. played at you know bars or coffee shops or that kind of thing. Were, were you singing at the time? Or were you just playing? Were you the guitarist in the band, or how? What was that? Yeah, I've never been a singer. Okay, no, never, yeah. Uh, uh, but, but somebody just instrumental guitar or I used to play with a friend of mine in college and he was and in high school I had two different friends and we were just like a almost like a Dave Matthews Tim Reynolds sure. thing where like he would sing and play and I would do lead and solos and stuff and um yeah but then yeah. Uh, one of them passed away my, my one friend from college uh uh he died in a motorcycle accident okay yeah yeah, and then after he died, I didn't play music in front of people for nine years. Okay. You know, when you lose somebody that you write music with, it's like losing a um, a wife, sure, know? definitely, like, or a husband, or whatever. Like it's a, it's a it's a level of intimacy and connection that you can't explain to anybody unless they have a creative partner, if they have a writing partner, or a musical partner. You know, like you can't explain how intimate that relationship is, and. It almost felt like a while, like I would be betraying him. Wow. Yeah. When did music become such an important part of your life? I mean, what, how old were you? Hmm. Um, it seemed like your parents are pretty supportive also. I, don't, I feel like one of them had an artistic background. Uh, my mo- mo- both of my parents loved, loved music. And one of the first memories I ever have of my life is watching the, the LP, Abbey Road. Uh-huh, sure. Uh, Beatles Abbey Road. Yeah. The app, you know, it was an Apple. The 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 center, the 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 logo cuz Be- the Beatles started Apple Records. Right. And I remember seeing that Apple spinning. Okay. On the uh on the record player. Yeah. And I remember listening to Abbey Road. Yeah, my mom loves the Beatles. My father's got really good taste like, you know, Fleetwood Mac and all, all this all this great music. I mean, they grew up in a time where like the music was just incredible. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they raised me like that. And my father was a writer and he gave up writing, uh, to raise, uh, us, but now he actually does storytelling competitions in Chicago and he's really good. He actually won. There's a storytelling competition called the moth. And my father, like six years ago, he won for the whole city of Chicago. Um, this storytelling competition. And then he got flown to New York and get, and told his story to Martin Scorsese and a couple other people at this like big ballroom wow. thing. What do you mean story? Yeah. What do you mean storytelling? Like he'll actually tell the story in, in front of a crowd kind of a thing. Yeah. yeah wow. Yeah. It's a, fi- it's a five to 10 minute storytelling competition called the moth. They do it in, in Chicago, LA, New York, San Francisco, it's a couple other cities where they do it. Denver, maybe. Okay. Um, and so it's actually like it's, it's underground, really cool. You'd actually, you'd actually love it. Like, yeah. it's a very cool, like underground artistic thing. Yeah, he won for the whole city of Chicago. Wow. And it, it kind of kickstarted him into writing again. And now he wrote a novel. He's writing the second novel. That's cool. Pretty cool. How did you make the decision to come out to Los Angeles? What, what was going on? Where, that's right. You were in real estate. You, you got into real estate and, and you, I guess you burnt out on it. Yeah, it was kind of a similar thing to leaving Los Angeles. I'd worked in real estate, and it was the real estate boom. Right. Um, so I was doing really well, but everyone was doing really well. Like everybody, sure. if you had half a brain, you were doing well in real estate. So I don't want to toot my own horn. 
Um, but I was, I was young and a little bit cocky. Yeah, I was making a lot of money by the time I was like 25 years old. Right. I got to a point where I remember um, worked with a client who was an electrician and he uh, wanted to buy this house with his, um, with his wife. He had pretty rough credit. Okay. And um, he found a loan and he was just he just wanted to buy a house and it wasn't a guy with a lot of uh, business uh, education right and i remember going to the closing and just looking and the loan had nothing to do with me i did not refer this guy to anyone um but i just remember seeing the terms of his loan and being like oh man this guy is going to lose this house yeah. like this is such this is this is just such a dishonest loan and this guy doesn't know what he's buying and he was just excited to have to buy a home. Yeah. And um, and he's an electrician, like this not a, not a person who who had been given any financial education in terms of what he was purchasing. And and after that, I kind of lost my taste for it. I was like, this is kind of it's becoming a dirty business, and I don't believe in it. Yeah. It's hard to sell something you don't believe in. I started dating a girl who I went to college with long distance and she lived in Los Angeles and, I, and um, she was pursuing a career as an artist, as an actress. And I was so jealous of her because it seemed like she like had this dream. And um, I remembered like being at the bars in high school and college and, and our, our, whenever we played, we were always, we always did really well. Like our, our shows are always really crowded. And I just, I just, felt like like I don't want to sell real estate this isn't who I am right and, and like most people or maybe not like most people but like a lot of people like you know you spend some years chasing money um so I packed up and left and moved to LA um, and then uh within a couple months uh enrolled into a two-year acting school okay where it was like a hardcore New York style Meisner training which I absolutely loved I absolutely loved uh, that experience. And it taught me so much about uh, being a yoga instructor. So much. Yeah, well, it's funny. Being in front of a class, I think part of the reason why I enjoy it, and I don't want to say it was easy because it's still really challenging, but, you know, I'm a singer and a performer and a DJ. And, yeah. I, you know, I'm in, I'm used to being in front of people. And there is yeah. there is sort of a performance aspect to it and people are coming to you not to necessarily be entertained but you know they're counting on you to get them to experience the undulations of a yoga class and 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 to sort of take them on on the journey you know you're sort totally. of you're the captain of the ship just like you're the lead singer of a band i mean there is sort of this performance aspect to it for sure i totally agree with that if you look back at like your favorite teacher in high school or whatever it's probably a teacher who was very charismatic and yeah. had a personality that he used to help bring about his points or her points mm -hmm. and i think yoga to me is music and why would you want to teach music like math right you know like it's like i'm teaching music i'm teaching something that's that's beyond words and beyond it's beyond it's deeper than intellectual comprehension so yeah. you have to teach it with parts of you that are that are not um that you can't really describe yeah. with language 
you know? You know, I don't play music in class, but I think as a DJ, I always make sure the music is amazing. I think music, I've, I've sort of, I don't know if I said this to Calvin or somebody, but or maybe I just posted on Instagram, but I do think the music's actually just as, or maybe even more important than the yoga teacher. I think music just enhance, the right song, in my mind, absolutely. can enhance any experience. Yeah, um, absolutely. So I just, I want to hear about, um, well, I, well, I just think I, I totally agree with you. Like, it's an opportunity to tell a story and to, to take people on some sort of a journey that goes beginning, middle, end. There's like a climactic, you know, like it's like a traditional vinyasa class or power yoga class. There's like there's a beginning. There's act one, yeah, act two, totally. act three, just like a song. Yes. And uh, there's a climax, you know, like sun salutation B or a peak pose or something. And I think. You, I almost look at it like I, you know, I spent so much time acting and so much time studying great pieces of literature that I think it's maybe a little bit ingrained into me, like um, like how to arc a story or, mm-hmm. or or the importance of like like creating something that's interesting. Sure. And I I, I think that that doesn't take away from my teaching at all. I think it it, it makes you a better teacher, and I think. Um, Every everything in my classes, everything in my classes is, is uh, I wouldn't say it's controlled because there's a lot of looseness around it where we can improvise, but there's an intention and in, in, in the playlist, every song is carefully thought out. And if, and if a song doesn't work, I delete it and I find a new song. You know, right. if I teach a class and the song doesn't work, I'm like, that didn't work. Yeah. I'm automatically like looking for a new one. Sure. And yeah, I think, you know, we're here to like take people on an emotional ride. Is, is not just a, a, a left brain and people, I mean, we're all so left brain dominant living in this like society now that, that, that values thinking so much more than anything else. But anytime you get people to drop into their emotional body or their creative body or their imagination, like you're doing them a service. Yeah. What's it like teaching in Bali? I mean, what's the difference between teaching in Bali, teaching in L.A., the students? The, I mean, I want to take us there. Let us try to experience yeah. experience Bali. Well, I, I am lucky enough. I work at the Yoga Barn, which is the largest yoga studio in all of Asia. Wow. Um, it's ridiculous. It's incredible. Uh, there's nothing like it in the United States. There's not, it's, a, it's basically, I feel like I work at a yoga university. Okay. Um, this place is like, it has a campus and there's seven yoga rooms and they have 14 classes a day, 15 classes a day. And the biggest room holds 80 and the smallest room holds 30. So there's no small class. Like they're, they're, they're packed. Well, not all the classes are packed, but they're, they're really crowded. Right. And it's just an incredible energy. Um, but it's made me a much better teacher because I've had to simplify everything because every class that I have, I would say a third of the people in the room, English is, is they're not fluent in English. Yes. So you have to make your actions and your directions so simple and so clear yeah otherwise nobody's going to be able to to follow along with you and especially if you're teaching like a level two three class you have to keep people safe but they're also if they have an expectation of you know teaching some arm balances and inversions and some and some more physically complicated stuff so it's made me it's made me a much better teacher like yeah. really really good teacher um it's made me a much better teacher i feel like it's, it was an incredible challenge and uh, it provided a lot of growth for me. 
When you moved there, were you thinking, eh, we're just going to try this for a few months? Or was it, you know, I think, you know, we're going to go there and stay for two years. I mean, what was, what was your, what was your thinking going into it? Well, I moved with my fiance, Leia, who was my girlfriend at the time. Now she's my fiance. Um, And she had been teaching, she's a pretty well-established meditation teacher in Los Angeles. And we were like, all right, well, we heard that there's this big community of people that come from all over the world to practice yoga and meditation in Bali. Mm -hmm. I had a yoga retreat with Byron uh, in Bali. And then right after that, Leia was producing uh, a yoga retreat with Alex Westmore and Gigi Schneider. Oh, sure. Um, I know Gigi, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we had back-to-back yoga retreats, and then we had a yoga retreat in northern Thailand uh, at an elephant sanctuary uh, mm. in June. So we're like, okay, we could we could move there. We can just stay until June, and if it's not working out, we'll know, and we can just come back. Um, so the intention was just to cut the rope and to get rid of like our apartment, our cars, eighty percent of everything that we own, and yeah. just move to Bali. And I had actually never even been to Bali. Wow, I'd I'd never been here, and uh, and yeah, it was this it was the scariest thing I've ever done, uh, but also the best, the best thing I've ever done, and being being moving with Leia too, because sure. Leia's the best best relationship I've ever had in my life. Obviously, we're getting married, like right. I love her, like love her so much, but yeah, just to step, I really wanted to like really step into the unknown and all of the stuff that comes up with that. Yeah, really just cutting the rope. You know, I know you just had that guy. I was listening to your last podcast, the guy who's the minimalist. Yes, Colin. Um, uh-huh. And he, he didn't really go into detail, like what it's like to actually get rid of 80% of everything you own. And right. the, the, the fear that comes up and the emotional attachments and letting go of your car and, you know, your apartment and like everything. And it's just it's it, it's really jarring and raw. And then once it's all gone, it's incredible. It's funny. I, I another similarity that I that I that where I connect with you. You know, I've had I've had anxiety stuff in the past, mm-hmm. but despite that, I still challenge myself with big trips or trying new things or putting myself out there or you know pursuing writing or writing songs or starting a podcast. I'm always challenge my challenging myself. Yeah, to try new stuff. And I yeah. get I get the sense that you know it must have been scary to pick up and and leave and go to L.A. It must have been scary to pick up and leave and move to Bali. I mean, to me, those are two big trips and big decisions. What what? I mean, you don't have to tell. Maybe you want to share. I mean, where did the anxiety come from, or is it? And and how do you fight through it and still make these decisions to? make these these big steps in your life and clearly you've grown from it and i think that's the lesson here is i think you and i and whoever's dealing with anxiety and and fear although you're in it at some point once you get through it you're a much stronger better person and i think you're sort of a prime example of that and and i i think what's the lesson or the advice that you can give to people just through your experience of fighting through these tough times and, and now looking back and you're obviously a better person because of it. So, you know, what, what are you thinking? As it relates to anxiety, two things. First thing is my anxiety. And I think this might be a lot of, I think it also has to do with a certain degree with masculinity because hmm. like, uh, being masculine, I think means 
that you want to have some sort of a, a purpose that you're going and you want to feel like you're growing. I feel like my anxiety was coming not from the fear of leaving Bali, but the internal knowing that I had to leave Bali. That I sorry that I had yeah, to Los leave Angeles. Los Angeles. Yeah. And the, and the anxiety was, what if I don't? Hmm. You know, it wasn't about it wasn't leaving Chicago. Most of the anxiety was, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm not I'm not being the man that I want to be. Yeah. And it, it, and the anxiety isn't what isn't from what I was about to do. It was about what I was not doing. Interesting. Yeah, I think that's a part of it. And I also think that you get out of you get out of a, a city like Los Angeles. And I love Los Angeles. Don't get me wrong. I love Los Angeles. It was great. I was there for 10 years. Yeah. But you get out of I wouldn't even say Los Angeles. You get out of the United States and you realize that a lot of people have anxiety because they're living in an incredibly unhealthy society. Hmm. The day-to-day life of an average American is designed to create a lot of anxiety. Yeah. Um, you're, you're bombarded by images that tell you that you need more money. The news is incredibly negative. There's traffic. There's all of this like perpetual fear. There's this like, like ridiculous drive for consumerism and capitalism and and it's just um it's exhausting it's exhausting and then (laughs) and then you get outside of it and then we're also we're also we are also um engineered to believe that that we live in the greatest place in the world yeah and then nobody actually goes out and sees the world because they're like this is the base the best place in the world and once you get out you're like well it's a great place but there's a lot of things that I've learned, like spending months, like spending a significant amount of time in Australia, and seeing like Australia, the, the middle class is much stronger hmm. than than in America. You know the attitudes that I see of Europeans, and then the Balinese, like just meeting so many people that are poor and happy. Yeah. Um, and if you're surrounded by people that are poor and happy it kind of makes your anxiety seem so self-indulgent that you really, for me at least, it made me look at myself and being like, oh, when I'm in anxiety, because I used to struggle with anxiety, like I look at back and I'm like, anxiety makes me selfish. And I don't want to be selfish. What do you mean? When we're in a a state of anxiety, you're thinking about yourself. Yeah, I guess you're right. Negative thoughts about your own future. You're not capable of being a good friend. You're not capable of being a good partner. And in, in an environment like Los Angeles, where everybody is swinging for home runs, right. and everybody is like going for a dream, it makes people naturally self-centered. And there's a, there's a plus side to that, because you, know, you are going after your dream, and that's exhilarating and very purposeful. But it, it can so easily be taken and spun into this thing where you, the anxiety is caused by like not actually remembering to be kind to other people or to listen to somebody else talk about their problems or or just the, just the knowing that like when I'm in a state of fear I'm I'm selfish. Yeah. Unless unless there's a snake in the room and something's happening now the majority of my fear is self-centered and selfish. 
Well, and then when I, when I really looked at that, I, I was able to overcome my anxiety because I just recognized it as being selfish. And I also recognized that I was, I was put into this environment where, where people are conditioned to be fearful and then they trigger their fear in order to get them to buy shit. Yeah. I get the sense this is probably the happiest that you've been. No, actually, I was I was really happy my last year in Los Angeles. Oh, you were? Okay. Happy. Yeah, my last year and a half, like when I was when I moved in with Calvin, um, and then when I met Leia, like I was so happy, but I was completely gone. Like I I would go to like the lake shrine and sit there and meditate for an hour and a half. I would I was not really looking at Instagram or Facebook. I was journaling. I was meditating every day. I was being really conscious about who I spent time with. Yeah. And just I was reading a lot of like really good philosophy books. And I was just I was just observing it without getting stuck on the hamster wheel. Yeah. You know? So I was super happy. Actually the deepest meditations I've ever had in my life have still been in Los Angeles. Wow. At the at the lake shrine or at unplugged meditation. So despite both. despite all of that, you felt confident and comfortable that leaving the city was the right thing to do. Yeah, especially when once Trump got elected, I remember sending Leia a message being like, I'm out. I I think talking to Andrea last week. I got the sense that she felt as though maybe I was making it out to be, you know, Instagram is maybe a bigger, I'm making it a bigger issue than it is and that it's just sort of a natural trend. You know, there used to be, you know, magazines, the media um, create sort of firestorms and make things out to be worse than they are. They want your attention. But I just, I feel like Instagram and the phone, we're sort of all now in our, we're all sort of like in our own little Truman show where we can sort of create a movie out of our own life and make it seem interesting. And, and we're sort of perpetuating this problem. And, and I think, you know, you talk about Donald Trump, but I I do think that is symbolic of what has gone on with American culture. And maybe I'm, I'm sure being in Bali, you could sort of touch on it because i've i had somebody on the show who's from australia and europe and he just says americans are just completely cut from a different piece of cloth there's such narcissism and self-indulgence here and i do think i do think instagram worse than any other platform is perpetuating that sort of behavior well i think if you take instagram and you plug it into a subculture like the cultures of America hmm. and like the culture of Los Angeles, which is, I, again, I love Los Angeles, but like you get a bunch of people that are wounded <laughs> that come to Los Angeles to be stars. And yeah. then you give them the cigarettes of Instagram. Right. And it, they're off to the races. Again, I, I, I don't want to come off as like super judgmental about it, but I, I agree with you. But I, uh, after living here and after living, after being in 15 different countries in the last two, three, two and a half years, I will have to say that Instagram, like when I go to Perth, Western Australia, yeah. people aren't, it's not, 
you know? And I think, you know, even like being from Chicago, and I go back to Chicago, people are like on Instagram, but they're not trying to like build the business of me. So I think that's what it is. It's like in, in Los Angeles, it's all about building the business of me. Yeah. Whether it's like you're an actor or a musician or um, a yoga teacher or a DJ, whatever it is, you're, you're building a business around yourself and you're selling you and the product is you and the only employee is you most of the time. So I think it's inherently incredibly addictive. And I think that if, unless you have really good values, unless you have people in your life that can keep you humble and really keep you in check, it's dangerous. I mean, there, there's, it's Facebook's a cigarette company. Yeah. It's, it's, it's what it is. It's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. They're different brands of cigarettes and everybody's hooked. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a legitimate problem. And I think, you know, as a musician and you know, this, like, if you lose the ability to concentrate for long periods of time, you can't ever become good at anything. Yeah. You can't ever develop any real talent or craft. And it's, it's a scary thing. And then, you know, just the whole fact that like, uh, you know, if you were to say like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, you know, to a little kid and a little kid were to say like, I want to take pictures of myself every day in a bikini and have people send me free shit. Like that's just, it just sounds like such a sad, hollow way to live your life. Yeah. And, um, yeah, there's no wonder that, that if that's what you're doing, you're probably not liking yourself very much. We're, we're not, I think the more, the more time you spend connected to a machine, the more you're going to feel dead. Sometimes I feel like I'm taking a chance by criticizing something. And I don't, I feel like people, I don't know. I, I just, I get the sense that there's an addiction. It's much more problematic than we think. People are staring at Instagram and their phones all day because our brains, you know, are more attracted. I even think about when I was a kid or I remember looking at books and getting excited when there were photos in the books. Our brains are wired that way. And, you know, we talk about it, but I just, I think it's a big problem. And I think our culture is becoming obsessed with the visual. We're not having these conversations that you were just talking about. I mean, obviously you use Instagram, but um, what's your relationship with social media and Instagram? And, and were you getting exhausted by it in Los Angeles? Because let's face it, everybody's obsessed with posting perfect pictures all the time out here in the city. What were your feelings about social media and Instagram before you left? And what's your take on it now that you're living in Bali? Yeah, I think it's a good question. You know, I think that's one of the things where I, I went to really good acting schools that really ingrained it into my head that real self-esteem and self-confidence comes from your work ethic and your craft and to be wary of instant success or taking shortcuts in life. Hmm. You know, I was always raised, or no, not raised, but like all my acting teachers would always say like the greatest actors are the people that did theater, the people who would, can do it live, 
you know, like, and, and as a musician, like, if a band can't do it live, it, you know, I'm not really interested in a band that's not good live. Like, it's, right. it's if you can't put on a good live show. So, with regards to Instagram, um, I never, it never really bothered me because my classes were slammed. Like, and it's like, not to sound cocky, but like, whatever. Like, I was teaching classes at studios that were good studios, but not necessarily like, like a guaranteed packed class, like right. Yoga Works Main Street, if you teach there at certain times of the day, the classes are going to be crowded, whether you're, you're a great teacher or an average teacher. Like some teachers like, you know, Calvin and me are great and Vetus, like they're going to have a packed room. But if you're teaching 1045 at Yoga Collective and your classes are selling out, I don't care about my Instagram following. Yeah. You know? Like, I don't fucking care. And and it's like, I look at Instagram as like a reality TV show. And it's <laughs> right. not like, it's like a bunch of people that are building their own infomercials. And it's it's just low, it's just low vibe art to me. Yeah. Uh, not all of it, but it's like, you know, I want to make something that belongs in a museum, not something that belongs on Instagram. Right. You know, like, let's set the bar that high. And, um... Well, you and then I, you know, and then I could run the risk of becoming super pretentious about it, which I have at times. Yeah. Um, well, it's but, funny. I just watched Beyonce's um, Coachella concert video on Netflix yesterday, and yeah. I mean, talk about raising the bar. I, I mean, it, yeah. it, it's just so yeah. And you bring up an interesting point in the sense that you know, I listen to. You know, I, obviously I pay attention to Ryan Rico on Instagram. And, and sometimes I wonder if, you know, an artist nowadays needs to be great at everything. You know, you need to be great at shooting videos and photography and your craft. And it's not about just spending all your time on your craft and getting as great as, as that. Get, getting as good at your craft as you possibly can. And I mentioned this to one of my friends who's a minimalist. And she's like, no, that, that's just, you, that's crazy. You, you, you can't be great at everything. You can't focus on videos and marketing. You just need to focus on painting. And I, I don't know. I, I, I sometimes wonder if, if, you know, the Eddie Van Halen. I agree. Go ahead. I agree with both. Yeah. You can't, you can't be great at everything. But you have to. Hmm. So and that's why you get artists that's just, there's no John Lennon anymore. You yeah. know, there's no people that are of that high of caliber because a musician now has to be an entrepreneur. Nobody told John Lennon you have to be an entrepreneur. Right. You know, nobody tells Bob Marley you have to like study Facebook algorithms. <laughs> right. Like you make your fucking music. But now it's like this thing where, where people that are good at generating attention, they're just like, well, I'll just go be the star. Yeah. And it's like, okay, but is there any real substance to what you're doing? And or are you just um good at getting attention for yourself? I without without running the risk of being too cynical, yeah, I agree with you. There's no there's no uh the quality of art, particularly in my opinion, the quality of art coming out of America is completely reflective of all the things that we're talking about. Like um, lack of concentration, the lack yeah. of hard work, the, the the inability to persevere or to struggle for five, six, seven years to really um, to take your punches. Um, you know, my my acting teacher used to be like, yeah, that's why all the Brits and the Australians they come to Los Angeles and they kick ass because they have real craft. Yeah, and it's not about it's not about just like gathering attention for yourself. 
Yeah, well, I, I don't. I don't think you could be a John Lennon and be a brilliant Instagram entrepreneur. You can neither. You can't do it. You can't. So you have to be half of John Lennon and half of an. And then you get like some sort of like hybrid of that. Yeah, I find and myself uh, like I'm making new music now, and and I'm. I, I sometimes I feel like I have to post videos of me recording, and but then I'm. But then I think, think to myself. Well, I, how can I possibly be really focusing on my lyrics or my performance uh, if I'm also trying to, you know, shoot a video of me in the studio because I, I think I should post it on Instagram? It's it seems counter counterproductive. Dude, I feel you. Yeah, <laughs> I no, there's no answer to it. No, it's just yeah, like, yeah. I've gotten to the point where I basically use social media to promote or post my podcast. And um, that's kind of about it because I've, the, it's what's so interesting to me is that I started the podcast about five months ago because I'm writing a book and a lot of agents say, you know, you should sort of have something going on besides as a writer, try to create something bigger than just your book because a lot of agents want you to sort of have a personality or see that you have something else going on besides your book. So I thought, you know, I'm not going to do more on Instagram because I it's kind of silly and I'm not going to, but I thought, okay, you know, I'm going to try a podcast. Well, the thing that's been so incredible about the podcast for me, I get to talk to all these really cool people for an hour, an hour and a half. And it, it's, it reminds me of sort of what people probably did in the thirties and forties and fifties and sixties. They didn't have a television or they didn't have a phone. So when they all got home, they sat around and talked about like real stuff and real sort of shit going on in the world. And I just don't think people are doing that. And I think my podcast is proof that if you actually put shit down and, and have an hour or two hour conversation every couple of days with somebody, your life is actually going to change and feel uh, deeper. Absolutely. And I think uh, people are doing that. Or people, I don't know if they are doing that, but because there's such this this massive growing underground market for podcasts and for long form discussion like we're having right now, I think that's a sign that like there there is there is uh, this restlessness amongst people that are looking to challenge themselves a little bit more emotionally, intellectually. Yeah, there's a hunger. I listen to lots of podcasts all the time. Like I, I really. Uh, you know, on my way to work or on my way back. And like all, all of the things that we talked about are happening where people are becoming more and more distracted and, and less and less um, aware, awake, or whatever you want to call it. And then right. at the same time, underneath it, there's this growing hunger for meaning and this growing hunger for um, depth. Do you feel as though Instagram is sort of dumbed down yoga a little bit, or is it? Do people realize that it's just a visual platform, and it's just what people should do on Instagram if you're sort of in the yoga world? I think uh, it has dumbed it down in some ways. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's a yeah. It's it's the, Instagram is a it's a it's the it's a gospel magazine it's a it's an infomercial it's you know it's not like highbrow form of uh, gathering information 
with that being said, I think that there are a lot of, um, it's getting people interested in yoga and there are a lot of people and some of them are more famous Instagram people. Some of them are yeah. that, that are really trying to teach good things and to try to help people uh, develop depth. And, and I think it's more of a, you put Instagram through capitalism, you put yoga into capitalism, into the Western world, and you're getting what you're getting. Yeah. And it, it, you know, it's like, it's the same thing. It's like, you look at what happened to rock and roll or look at what happened to like, you know, it gets commercialized and popularized and, and then it gets watered down and mediocre. And, um, that doesn't mean there's not like still a lot of cream, but I don't think the cream rises to the top anymore. Right. It's still just a lot of cream, but it doesn't rise to the top. Yeah, that's my biggest, I guess that's my biggest issue. And, and I'm not trying to get you to agree with me here, but I think we live in a day and age now where the talent is not rising to the top. It's the ones who are yelling the loudest, speaking the loudest, being the most vexatious or the most um, perverted, uh, you know, whatever. It, to, as long as you're getting attention, people are going to pay attention and then... And then, and then they, I don't know, we're paying attention to the ones that I think aren't actually really all that talented. I just see yeah, it happening. I, I, I don't know. I feel at the same time like uh, yes and no. I feel like uh, I, I'm really grateful and I feel really blessed. Like I feel like I, I do, I have been rewarded by the universe or God or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Or both challenging myself, being true to myself. And then one of my friends, who is a really well-respected meditation teacher, he said something to me which really stuck to me. Um, he said, you can hate the system, but you still need to learn how to use it to your advantage. Hmm. This was a guy who has four kids. He's a meditation teacher, and he doesn't want to not be a meditation teacher. So he needed to do certain things to build a business around himself. And that doesn't mean that he lost the integrity of what he was teaching, because he yeah. didn't. This teacher is a really, really good man. Yeah, I think that's that's something you, you know. Hate the system, but to not learn to use it to your advantage is your own disservice. And and I've kind of started started really taking that attitude. Like I use Instagram. I also like I have a, an assistant, and my assistant uses Instagram for me sometimes. Yeah. And I think like for me as a person who's become a certain degree of successful. Um, part of the way like is to be able to delegate some of your your things to other people and pay them well and treat them well yeah i started liking instagram more when i wasn't when i ha when i hired a, a you know uh, an assistant to manage some of of my instagram yeah and a lot of people won't actually admit that but so many people are doing that What's next for you in the next six months? What Are you doing trainings? Are you doing retreats? Is Byron coming back out from L.A. to... Dude, I have, I have so much going on. I have a workshop in the Philippines uh, okay. next week in, in Manila. And then I have, I'm going to come to Los Angeles. And we have a couple workshops there in July. And then I have a workshop in uh, Chicago, yoga workshop in Chicago. I have a yoga teacher training in September, 100-hour yin meditation and uh, philosophy, where I'm teaming, I'm teaming up with a real Indian yogi master, and wow. he's going to come and teach philosophy. So you're going to get like the Western take on like, like actually teaching yoga in major cities, complemented with a real 
Indian who's lived at an ashram since he was 12 years old. Wow. Uh, it's going to be sweet in Bali. And then I have a yoga retreat in Italy. I'm at the Malaysian uh, Mur Fest. It's a Malaysian yoga festival in November. And then another teacher training in May, another teacher training in October. So, wow. yeah, r- really busy. Um, almost too busy. Um, yeah, it sounds crazy. Uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing. When you um, when you went to like your first class, were, was your intention to become a teacher? What sort of tell me a little bit about that, and then I'll let you go. What what was what, how'd you why'd you go to your first yoga class, and then tell me about that transition from you know being a student to actually pursuing teaching. I, I went to Vinnie Marino and Sarah Ivanhoe were my first two experiences where I act, where I, like my mind was blown. And then uh, I just kept going, and I got obsessed with yoga. I wouldn't call it obsessed. Yeah, maybe a little bit obsessed. because and, and obsessed with playing instrumental guitar, like open tunings, okay. because I was so miserable as an actor. I was so miserable auditioning for fucking beer commercials <laughs> and car commercials and all of this stupid crap that I would have to play guitar and practice yoga for hours to be able to just deal with, like, how much of a failure and a fraud I felt like just um, with the, the, the business side of it. So it's so funny that like the two things that I was detached from are now the two things that I do. And, uh, and I, I wasn't even planning on it at the time. But then once I took my teacher training, I was dead set. Like I'm going to teach yoga. I'm going to give this a hundred percent. I'm, I was done. I was done, um, driving around town to, to play a hot cop on some stupid show <laughs> that I didn't believe in or, you know, auditioning for some like cheesy sitcom. I was like, this isn't who I am. It's not what I have to say. And I felt, yeah, I felt powerless. So, uh, well, you, you went, felt, you went all in, it feels like, I mean, really to, to, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of go all in everything. Yeah. Everything I do. Now, going all in is great, but then every once in a while you'll run full speed into a brick wall, which is what <laughs> happened to me uh, with, with acting, like literally full speed into a brick wall. Yeah. When are you guys getting married? Uh, we're getting married in Italy in October, in right October. after our retreat. Wow. That's cool. And you obviously don't miss L.A. at all. I miss my friends and family, but more than anything, like... Uh, no, I don't really miss it. I just wish that I could I could really convince people. Like when I tell people like on Instagram or like come in my yoga retreat, like yeah. I, I feel like like it's the best possible thing you could do for yourself to travel and see the world. And Americans don't do that, you know, like like most upper middle like a lot of like educated upper middle class Europeans or Asians will live in another country for a year or two or Australians. It's very normal yeah. to have been like, yeah, I spent a couple of years like for an Australian to be like, yeah, I, co- I spent a couple of years working in Sweden or like I spent a couple of years like working in the UK or if you're from, you know, Singapore, like you spend a couple of years living in the Philippines and, and Americans just don't do that. If there's one thing that like even more than like yoga right now, like I, I'd rather get people to, to go travel and to go like have their perspectives changed and shifted and like you know go see the world you know yeah i think that's really the goal and 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 why i teach yoga why i start the podcast i think i just want to bring more awareness to people's way of thinking because we do we're so one-tracked minded here in, in america 
there's an ego here as well. There's like a, a strong masculinity to this this country. Um, yeah. and, and there's such an ego to it. And there's such this desire to be right. And I just think... Entitlement, too. Yeah, entitlement. And you I know what I feel like? You know what I, I, I like to compare it? Like, America is like such a young country. I feel like America is like uh, this incredibly talented musician that like became famous at the age of 20 and de- like, like and, and also developed like a coke habit and it's like really needs to go to rehab but still like running on fumes yeah. you know it's like this like late 20s coke addict that like needs to go to rehab all this talent and all this potential and it's just being wasted by like like you said like ego yeah. I mean the fact that like I'm gonna go off a little bit here but like the fact that like in our country, once a month, somebody goes into a school and shoots up a bunch of people, like once a month. Yeah. And it happens every month, and we don't do anything about it. The rest of the world looks at us like you guys are like absolutely barbaric. It's part of the reason why I it feels good to like not pay taxes, like to to like to that government. It's just so incompetent. What's so fucked up now? And again, this just this kind of is sort of my angle of the show. But, you know, I was I've had a podcast about this, you know, 25 years ago, it, something really shitty happened, whether it was Kurt Cobain killing himself, uh, the Rodney King trials, um, a bombing. You, you know, we only had three news sources to turn to. Yeah. Or, or we had the New York Times or the LA Times and we didn't have our phones or, you know, we would go home at night, have dinner and we'd all sit around the table and talk about it for maybe a month. Because that's the only sort of news story that was worthy of our attention. But now when something terrible happens, we sort of kind of talk about it maybe for a day. And then the news media goes to what's next to get our attention. Or we just go back to Instagram or our phones and post more selfies because we just really can't really live with what's going on anymore. And I think at the end of the day, like... I just don't believe that anything is going to change until it gets worse. So why not leave? Yeah, <laughs> I, I I hear you. I think uh, things will change, but the idea that like things are gonna are gonna change rapidly anytime soon. Uh, yeah, I, I don't feel bad because I'm being super cynical, but I, I I really don't want to be too much. No, that's you know? the like, thing. I, I still I, love I, I love our country and yeah. I was, I was given a fantastic education in America, and and um, but yeah, it's a it's a very you know you pull yourself out of it. It's like pulling yourself out of an alcoholic family, and you look at it from a distance. You're like, wow, it's a really unhealthy environment. I mean, look, I, I'm super happy right now. Um, life is excellent. I'm just merely looking at the world around me here in America and it just frightens it frightens me sometimes and I can see why um you would pick up and move to Bali. I I applaud you for doing that. I think that sort of action and behavior is to be applauded and respected. I think we're all in America, I'll say just becoming robots and we're all sort of becoming the same. And I think you doing something that's unique and different, that is, that's why I wanted to talk to you and have you on the show. Because I think that story of yours, your story is inspiring and it's um, a story that should be told and I think people should hear it. I, I just respect you. I respect you as an artist. I respect you as a yoga teacher. I respect you as somebody who 
is like living your life to your own drum. And, and I just think it's just awesome. I think it's incredible. Thank, thank you. Yeah. Well, if, if anybody is listening, like I hope it inspires you. Like if, if anybody here is listening, like you can take, take a risk, man, especially if you're young, you got no kids, like take a risk, you know, cut the rope. Yeah. So, well, uh, thank you. Yeah, man. Uh, I, mean, I mean it. I really do. I sincerely mean it. I just, you know, again, I just, I remember seeing you at Hot 8. I remember seeing you in L.A. at some yoga studios. I remember reading that article about you having being the number one teacher in Los Angeles. And then I remember just seeing a post like, hey, I'm, I'm leaving a Bali. And I, I just, I think it's really cool. And I think it's just, I, again, that sort of way of living is, is should be applauded. And I think it's, it's just Thank really, you. yeah. Well, Paul Teoto. What's your? I know I follow you on Instagram, but what's what's your Instagram handle, Paul? It's something with guitar, also. What's your what's your name on Instagram? Yep, Teoto Yoga Guitar. There we go. And you're teaching yeah. at Yoga Barn in in Bali. Yep. And um, yeah, I just uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me on the show. It's really awesome, and yeah. it's, it's cool to hear the sounds of the birds in the background, also. <laughs> Nate, Nate, dude, I live in a jungle house. I'll actually just real quick, you can check this out. Yeah, this please. Is this is so cool. Oh my god! Wow. A two two hundred and seventy degree jungle view. That's three amazing. bedroom, three bath house. Pretty cool. That's two great. dogs. What do you like? What What do you eat from day to day? I mean, how's the food there? Food's incredible. Yeah, incredible. Uh, yeah, there's like, I, I'm not vegan, but there's tons of like vegan options. Uh, so you can eat really healthy vegetarian vegan food all the time. There's uh, a couple steakhouses that have like a grass fed Australian beef, which is such high quality yeah. um, beef that I eat every once in a while. And lots of fresh tropical fruit um, that I eat almost every morning. Really good coffee. So <laughs> hidden secret, the best coffee in the world comes from Australia. Australians know what they're doing, and there's so many Australians here that you get these amazing coffee shops um, that are just like Australian influence, and they're so freaking good. Wow. That's yeah. cool, man. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah. dude. Uh, well, sh- this is awesome. It was freaking great to talk to you. Uh, Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral, thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, man. Thank you. Thank you.